0: All right. good morning thanks for your time this morning uh, i'm ryan Brewbaker. Uh, it's great to be with you this is going to be one of the more touchy-feely it presentations you've seen i hope you were prepared and i hope you enjoy it this is what i really want to talk about have you ever been here have you ever been laying in bed it's 2 a.m can't get back to sleep freaked out because of some project the next day something that's about to happen uh, some uh, network outage or maybe there's nothing going wrong and you're just worried about what could go wrong that's what I'm here to talk about this morning and I've got some exercises for you to try this is me I'm the chief operating officer at Seaspring we're a data and AI consulting company based in Indianapolis uh, but I'm here, not here to talk about me uh, I've been a CIO over 15 years and Purdue IU I'll, you can read that but anyway that's me I'm Ryan just another human just like all the other humans in this room, <laughs> unless some of you are AI, in which case, please please don't divulge that. Anyway, back to this, uh, what keeps you up at night, what makes you worried, and how do you deal with it? How do you process the fact that you're late at night, can't get back to sleep, what do you think about, you do you count uh, sheet, re- do you, I read one study that said actually if you really think really hard about falling back to sleep, it actually helps. They say, they say to distract yourself, but then this study said, no, actually you should sit there and just think really hard about falling back asleep kind of an interesting study so what do you do I'm, I brought three three ideas so here's the agenda first is I'm gonna to try to establish that there really is a problem I think mean, you're all gonna agree with me but it will still be fun to establish it right and then I'm going to talk about an exercise called the worst-case scenario another exercise called the overlook and then the last exercise that I'll cover is called the Superman okay I don't know if you guys have heard of those but. but we'll jump right in so the problem have you ever seen these memes? Expectation versus reality. I really think they're funny. Uh, you know, there's the expectation of, of motherhood, I guess, and then the reality being kicked in the face while you're sleeping. Uh Travel expectations. I'm going to go see the Great Wall of China, and then it turns out there's you know thousands of other people standing there with you, and that takes away from some of it. Uh, first day of school. Definitely different than expected. Uh, My snowman always looked like the one on the right. I don't know about you. I never could make a good snowman growing up. Uh, So there's the expectation, the reality. And then of course there's your plan, and then there's the reality on how you're gonna accomplish your plan. So I thought it'd be fun based on that. I thought, you know what? I'm gonna make some written job descriptions versus actual job descriptions. Kind of a play on the expectations versus reality. So let's start with a written job description for a cashier. Just write Grocery is seeking a cashier who will smile and greet customers, scan their items, collect payment. Sounds pretty simple. But, of course, the actual job description is get yelled at by customers because there aren't enough lanes open. They're upset because there aren't more employees on staff. And customers are upset because you won't process coupons that don't actually apply to their order. My daughter was a cashier, and this is what she dealt with all day, every day. There's the actual job description, right? This next one is fun. I have a friend who's an optometrist, so I got this from him. The uh, Acme Optometry seeks the optometrist who will heal the blind, help small children who were failing in school. That's what you sign up for to be an optometrist. In reality, your job is one or two. That's what you do all day, every day. Uh, that's what my friend tells me. That's all he does all day, every day, after thinking he was gonna heal the blind and help children who were failing in school. Okay, student. Purdue University is seeking students who want to learn amazing things, party all night, and then receive daily Venmo payments from their parents so you can have a great lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's what they say on the tour, on the what campus tour, before? <laughs> before the check is written. And then once the check is written, you show up as a student and you have 7:30 classes, hangovers, back-to-back classes on the other side of campus, finals week, your parents aren't giving you any money because you have a C in one of your classes. And then of course there's the nightmares. I don't know if you all still have the nightmare that I have, that you show up to finals week and you realize that you hadn't attended the entire class the whole semester. Uh, we all have those kinds of like school nightmares, I think. And that's the actual job description for students. So let's get into the written job description for IT leader. You know where I'm going with this, so feel free to laugh as hard as you would like. ABC company is seeking a strategic thinker that will act with full autonomy to lead the company into a new digital age, right? They're looking for an IT leader that will sit at the executive table and drive revenue by utilizing the cutting edge of technology? That sounds like the written job description, doesn't it? How about a team player who will be supported by all their colleagues and trusted to protect the company from unnecessary operational costs and cybersecurity threats? That definitely feels like the advertised IT leader job description, doesn't it? Let's talk about the actual (coughs) job description of an IT leader. How about this one? We're going to implement Agile only to be told that the only reason you're implementing Agile is because IT doesn't want to give out any dates, they don't want to commit to anything, they don't want to have any milestones anymore. And what is this Kanban business? So you just make a list and then you just work in order and you don't commit to anything? Or when anything's going to be done? That's stressful. Or how about this? We want a five-year roadmap and you work for months to build a five-year roadmap to get buy-in from everybody and then 15 minutes after the roadmap gets approved, you're told, We're changing direction, we have a new rallying cry, we need you to change everything about what you're gonna deliver for the rest of this year. And then, of course, a year later, when you go through all the list of all the stuff you delivered, (laughs) somebody stands up and holds the roadmap and dusts it off (laughs) and says, why aren't we right here where you said a year ago we would be? And you have to defend yourself, right? Even though you documented all the change requests and you put it all in writing and and you invited people to stakeholder meetings and everybody was bought in on the fact that you were gonna change everything. But of course, now it's a year has gone by and everybody has selective memory and they just pull out the old, the old roadmap that you produced a year ago and want to know why you're not where you said you'd be. How about tabletop DR exercises? Where you're sitting there taking made up scenarios, walking through everything you are going to do, and of course this is really good and healthy and I hope your organization does tabletop DR exercises. But about of your mind is the leader, you're thinking, is this even the scenario we're, we're gonna face? And if this is the scenario we're gonna face, is this even going to, any of this even gonna work? We are just sitting here talking, of course, in theory, we could say we would do this, we would find root cause, and then we'd call this vendor, and then we would do that. That's great to think about, but you know, you're laying in bed at night thinking about that DR exercise we did today, was that even of any value? Is it gonna be anything like that? How about the do not disturb settings on your phone? You go in and you put your phone on Do Not Disturb and then you immediately set everybody you know to break through Do Not Disturb. Because what if your team needs to get a hold of you? What if your boss needs to get a hold of you? What if your colleague needs to get a hold of you? What if one of your vendors needs to get a hold of you? So now you're setting all these breakthroughs so you practically have no point in turning on Do Not Disturb. Not to mention that you've got Pager Duty and all your alerting apps and all that stuff turned on so that it can wake you up in the middle of the night, right? That's the life of an IT leader. oh, how many of you have done this? I've done this many times in my career where you have two Zoom calls going at once. You're in the middle of an incident. You've got one Zoom call with the war room. You've got the other Zoom call, which is the executive briefing. And you've got the executive executives asking you, hey, is this resolved yet? And then you get on the team with your war room, on with your war room and, and you're saying, is this resolved yet? And they're saying, we don't even have root cause yet. Like, what, what do you mean, is this resolved yet? So you go back to the executive, you mute, unmute, you go back to the executive briefing. Well, can we at least get a worker in place? So you meet them and you go back to the board. Can we at least get a worker around the place? And they're like, boss, we don't even have the root cause yet. How can we have a worker in place? I've been on a few of those in the middle of the night where I have two Zoom calls going at once. Very fun playing back and forth. <laughs> then, of course, if you do have some kind of an incident or a breach, well, the board wants accountability. And unfortunately, most people view accountability or define accountability as just firing someone, right? So maybe... <clears throat> that's you maybe you're the person at the top you're the person in charge of that and you're the one who's selected to be the person who is held accountable so that the board can do a a press release and start uh, doing damage control there's an excellent book the wolf and cio's clothing that really kind of changed how i thought about a lot of things it's um I fashion myself as a servant leader. I'm not Machiavellian. I don't believe that you should necessarily follow Machiavellian principles of how you lead an IT group. But it's a great book to just really challenge your thinking and and make you consider and pause. And Tina tells a story in this book about how IT leaders are typically data people. They like lots of numbers. They like lots of data. They're data driven. They think in data. And so a critical mistake that many IT leaders make is they assume that everybody would like the data and they're overly transparent. And I actually have suffered from this for a lot of my career and, and changed some of my philosophy and strategy based on this book. But she tells a great story. She talks about all, of all the CIOs that she's interviewed and worked with, she's a Gartner, uh, a Gartner leader, and of all the CIOs that she's worked with and talked with, not one of them has ever shared a whole bunch of data and had it go well. And, and I'll give you an example, I, I did that a CFO of mine was asking about velocity and sprint planning and how we were doing everything, so I said, great. Why don't you come to a retro? Why don't you come to a sprint planning session? You can come to some daily stand-ups. I'll share my DevOps with you. You can see my Kanban board. You can see everything. You can, uh, you, uh, we, uh, I guess this was a Scrum team. So you can see my Scrum planning. You can see my sprint planning. And just opened it all up. Because I thought, that's great, right? That's what you should do as a transparent leader. You just share all the data. And of course, uh, the person didn't come back and say, oh, I totally understand now. You're running a fantastic organization. I totally trust you. I'll never question you again, Ryan. No, of course they said, "Hey, I went back through the data last night, and I found you know seven sprints ago, you didn't nearly hit the velocity that you had been hitting." And I don't remember you like sharing that with the executive team. And so it was, you know, it's it's classic. How, and she shares this in the book. She says nobody ever comes back and says that really went well, and the transparency was appreciated. So just a really really interesting read. So I guess my point is, I think this is the IT leader's <coughs> job description. A picture is worth a thousand words. Right? This is your job description. This is to just sit there and worry, to wonder what's going to happen tomorrow, to wonder what event is going to transpire. Is the tabletop exercise going to even work? Stress is physical, mental, or emotional strain or tension. Worry over his job and his wife's health put him under great stress. Well, that that mentions worry. Let's define worry. To torment oneself with or suffer from disturbing thoughts, to fret, to torment with cares, anxieties, etc. Anxiety is distress or uneasiness of mind caused by fear or, danger or mis- fear of danger or misfortune. She felt anxiety about the possible loss of her job. There's a theme in all of these examples that the dictionary gives. How about fear? A distressing emotion aroused by impending danger, evil pain? Etc., whether the threat is real or imagined, the feeling or condition of being afraid. And isn't that interesting? Whether real or imagined, whether the things that you're worried about are real or imagined, you're still laying there in bed at night, aren't you? You're still looking at the clock saying it's 2 a.m. like, hey, I go back to sleep. Got that big thing due to today. <clears throat> a quick word about grief and depression. I'm not covering grief or depression. I'm not a licensed therapist or psychiatrist. That's not my point this morning, is not to cover those things. If you suffer from those things, those are very real. If you've had a loss, if you've uh, you've experienced depression, you should absolutely seek uh, professional assistance. Uh, But I'm here to just try to encourage you with some of the daily stresses of life is my goal. So here's a rhetorical question. Are people more or less anxious than they were 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago? I mean, everybody knows all the studies. People are, are so much more stressed and anxious than they used to be. So there you have it. Have have I convinced you there's a problem? Everybody on board? Okay, let's talk about three exercises that might be able to help. The first one's called the worst case scenario. Before I jump into this, I want to ask you a question related to this exercise. What's your identity? If I ask you that question, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Think about it. What is your identity? At your very core, who are you? Didn't think we were gonna get so existential this morning. did? (laughs) This is fun. Okay, what's your identity? Well, is it it this? Is this my identity? Is it just a bunch of stuff? Oh yeah, executive leader, CIO, got these degrees. Is Is that, I mean, some people view that as their identity. How about this one? Your LinkedIn profile, is your LinkedIn profile your identity? I think we all struggle at times with with wrapping up our identity in just our work or what we bring to the table every day, don't we? How about at your inner core, what are your personal core values? These are mine. I don't know if you've ever sat down and thought about what your personal core values are because that's really who you are. That's really your identity is your personal core values. I would highly encourage you to sit down sometime and write out your personal core values because that will help you with this worst case scenario exercise. But let's keep going. So if I ask you what's your identity, really at the core it gets to, when I mention core values, core values is what makes you valuable. Are you valuable? So let's define that. Valuable is having considerable monetary worth costing or bringing a high price. Having qualities worthy of respect, admiration, or esteem and of of considerable use, service, or importance. I would argue this morning that every single person sitting here is extremely valuable. You are worth so much. You have qualities of respect that are worthy of respect, admiration, and esteem, and you are of considerable use, service, or importance. You know you are. At your core, you know you're valuable. (laughs) Even when your inner critic accuses you that you're not, and we'll talk about that in a minute. So what gets in the way? I think there's two things, imposter syndrome and anxious thinking. What's imposter syndrome? Feeling that you're on the verge of being exposed as a fraud. Isn't that interesting? It's extremely common in high achieving inv- individuals and it affects both men and women equally. It's been studied quite a bit over the last 20 years, this concept of imposter syndrome. Yeah. It's actually the CEO's biggest fear. If you if you survey CEOs high, above death, I mean, death was actually on the list, and it was lower than imposter syndrome. Being found out that they're going to walk into work one day and be told by the board of directors, "We figured you out. You're a total fraud. You have no idea what you're doing. Pack up your stuff." That's CEO's biggest fear when surveyed. Is it, is it this imposter syndrome that they're going to be found out? Okay, now you couple that with anxious thinking. What are some of the things that you're afraid of? I could lose my job. My job isn't prestigious enough. I don't make enough money. I'm failing myself and my family. I don't volunteer or help others enough. Those are the anxious thinking that creeps in that are keeping <clears> you up <throat> at night. And which ones resonate with you the most? Okay, so with that as our foundation, here's the worst case scenario. The Worst case scenario, probably everybody knows what I'm talking about on this one is the idea of just sitting down and thinking through if those fears come true, whatever that thing is that I'm freaked out about, if it really does come true, what really happens? Because our brains tend to go to a much greater worst case scenario than is reality. For me, one of the things that I really worried about all the time was losing my job. I was convinced, subconsciously, I was convinced that if I lost my job, within a few days, this would be me. I would be out, I would have nothing. And I read a book, where a guy even talked about, he did couch counting. And what he would do is he would count the number of couches of friends that would let him sleep on their couch if the worst happened (laughs) and he like lost his home. And he said, I would count couches, all my friends from uh, work, uh, school, church, whatever, and I would just literally count the couches and I would say, yeah, I've got 20 couches or 18 couches that I could sleep on. And that would help him feel better. He would think through, so the worst case scenario is I'm, I'm on one of those 18 couches, right? I guess if you ever can't count to one couch, then you're in trouble. If You don't have anybody that you could sleep on their couch. But the reality is you work through this worst-case scenario, and what ultimately comes out is you're probably not going to end up on the street begging for food. It's pretty unlikely. So that's the worst-case scenario It's just think through, thinking through that and actually playing out what is that fear. Is it a fear of a job loss? Is it a fear of a relationship that gets uh, harmed, uh, a personal relationship or something like that? And so the worst case scenario takeaways are this. Where do you struggle with imposter syndrome or anxious thinking? And then take time today with someone you trust to honestly work out the worst case scenario if that fear really came true. With me? Yep. Think that might make you feel better? Maybe? Worth a try? Okay, that's exercise one. The second exercise we're gonna talk about is the overlook. Have you ever had one of these experiences where you're out hiking, or you're maybe at like the um, a national monument or something like that, and you just walk up to an overlook and it just gives you such a grandiose view that you realize it just puts life in perspective. It's like it's like you have this out of body experience where you just realize there's so much more to life, and it gives you a really a good perspective. So that's that's what the goal of the overlook is, and the best way I think to get that perspective is to talk about what your regrets might be in your final moments. So a, re- a study was done of what people what people's biggest regrets are in their final moments, and they compiled them and they came up with 15, basically 15 themes, categories. Of course, they got hundreds of answers, but they distilled it into, you know, what did it really boil down to was these 15. So I'm gonna walk you through these 15 quickly. I have them all written down, and so you don't, and you don't feel like you need to take pictures of every one of these slides or write them down if you don't want, because I have a handout for you to take with you today if you want it that has all these on it. So let's start with number one. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Very unsurprising. Does anybody on their deathbed say, I wish I had just worked harder and spent less time with my family? Nobody says that. So that's, that's a pretty straightforward one. And as I go through each of these, I want you to think about, like, how likely is this one for me? Because some of them won't resonate at all, and you're going to say, I'm not going to worry about that at all. That's not going to be a regret of mine at all. But some of them might hit really home. How about number two? I wish I had laughed things off more often. That's something I struggle with. I take certain things personally, and I need to just say, oh, well, we're all humans. We all make mistakes. We all say things that aren't nice or whatever and just move on. But that's actually the number two regret. I wish I had left things off more often how about number three I wish I had enjoyed more of the foods I loved that's a funny one isn't it's kind of interesting but it kind of makes sense my dad has told me son I've worked all my life on my way I've watched what I've eaten I've done everything I can to keep my weight down and and eating healthy and so he literally told me the day I go into hospice someday I want you to only feed me pie I know he's kind of half kidding, but like, I get it. Like, I don't know. All I want to eat is donuts once I'm in hospice. Like, let me enjoy it on my way out. Uh, So yeah, that's that's a big regret. Number three, I wish I enjoyed more of the foods I loved. How about number four? I wish I hadn't wasted time trying so hard for people that didn't matter. Wow, that's like an arrow straight through my heart. I mean, there are people that I was trying to impress 20 years ago that I haven't seen in 20 years, and they probably don't even remember me. And yet I, I spent my effort trying to impress them or make them happy or please them. Wow, I'm not surprised that that's a common one. That hits home for me. How about this? I wish I had not been so attached to my phone. There's some great books on this one. Uh, At Your Best is a great book. There's another great book I read a couple of years ago called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal book mm-hmm. on How hurried our lives are and how how much we need to slow down, and that includes setting down our phone. I wish I had taken more risks, lived a little more on the edge. Maybe you wish you had been that entrepreneur or just made, or maybe jumped out of an airplane, right, and and done some skydiving. Whatever it might be, this is a common one. I wish I had stood up to the bullies, the meanies, the baddies, and the gossips. Yeah. This really surprised me That this made it into their research That people actually regretted That they hadn't stood up to the people Who were gossiping Who were bullying Like we've all seen it happen And we just kind of walk away And maybe in the moment that is the right thing to do But there are also times where the right thing to do Is to stand up and say you know what This isn't how humans should be treating each other So this is a big one I wish I had made a difference. Kind of unexpected there. Everybody probably has regrets about that they could have volunteered more or done something more for a greater impact. Number nine, I wish I hadn't spent so much time worrying about things I couldn't control. Wow, that takes you right back to the alarm clock picture. Right, you don't know what tomorrow is gonna bring and yet there you are, pre-worried about it. Pre-processing, how many times have you spent hours worrying about something and then that thing never even came true. Sometimes it does, but why not only worry about it when it does come true? Why do you, Why do we worry about it when it's not going to come true? I have entire conversations with myself. My wife walks into my office and says, "You talking to yourself again?" <laughs> because I'm literally talking to the person about the conversation I think I'm going to have tomorrow with them. Why am I doing that? Why am I pre-planning how I think that conversation is going to go? We spend a lot of time on that, and, and it's a regret for people in their final moments. Wish I had traveled more. Kind of unexpected to see that on the list. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's going to be you. I wish I had pursued the career I really wanted. Doesn't this give you some perspective? I mean, life's too short. Imagine being in a career that you didn't like or at a job that was terrible for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And you needed to just take a risk and go out and get another job, but you didn't do it. That's going to be a regret someday, isn't it? I wish I had taken better care of my health. Now, you might be thinking, hey, that's in contrast to I wish I had eaten all the more of the foods I loved. That, those, but actually, in the research, they explain this isn't about eating better. This is about people who very commonly refuse to go to the doctor. They don't get that annual checkup, don't get on the heart med soon enough or whatever it is their doctor's telling them to do. Uh, they have that pain that's nagging them, but they're afraid of what it could be, so they refuse to go to the doctor and find out what that pain is. That's what this is. It's about health. It's I wish I had just done the things that I should have done for my health. and This is number 12. Number 13, I wish I had been more present. That's one of the things I talk to about with all new employees about is being present, including in meetings. Close the laptop unless you're taking notes and so make sure you're taking notes. Uh, don't play on your phone. Don't if you're if you're there, be there for a reason and be present. Number 14, I wish I had seen my own worse. Wow. That's really deep. <laughs> I'm just going to let that sit for a second. <laughs> Is that going to be in? And then last, I wish I had realized how much I already have. Uh, speaks to contentment, doesn't it? We have a lot of stuff. We have a lot to be thankful for. We are, we are very blessed. <laughs> And sometimes it just takes a minute to just think about that. So which one stood out to you? I have a survey here, it's a sheet with all 15. And I've got a one through 10 underneath each one. And so you can take one of these with you and you can rate how likely is it that I'm going to feel this way in my final moments. Some of them will be 10, some of them might be ones. And then on the far right, there's an opportunity where you can just stack rank them. And I would encourage you to do that. Uh, That's the overlook. Hopefully that gives you some perspective. And so takeaways for this exercise, what's one real world issue causing you anxiety right now? And take at least five minutes today, or alone or out loud with someone you trust and apply the overlook to this issue. So take that issue that you're freaked out about, that thing that's been keeping you awake at night the last few nights, and then go through those 15 and say, is am i really have have the right perspective should i really be up at night worrying about this or should i have more of the perspective of those 15 final moments and then take the 15 final moments survey like i said i've got it at my table so just come grab one on your way out i've got plenty of them and what are you going to change immediately because of your highest scoring items last time i did this i have i had people email me and say by doing this scorecard it put things in perspective for me of thing, changes that I needed to make immediately because of the things that I was uh, that, that I'm going to end up regretting. So because so in order to avoid that, I'm gonna go make changes immediately. So highly encourage you to look at that. Okay, I got one more. I'm almost done. This is the Superman. Okay. We talked about imposter syndrome. This is kind of the other side of the imposter syndrome coin. That this is the inner critic. This is that person that thing, that nagging voice in your head that tells you nothing is good enough. But it's not just like imposter syndrome where you're afraid to be found out. It's all the way down to the way you just signed your name wasn't good enough. The, the conversation you just have with your friend, oh no, I said something I shouldn't have said. This is the inner critic that accuses you of every single thing in your life that your nothing is ever good enough. That's the inner critic. What's the opposite of the inner critic? What's the inner critic attacking you for? Self-regard. Regard or consider, consideration for oneself, self-respect. So let's look up self-respect: proper esteem or regard for the dignity of one's character. Do you recognize that that you are a human being and that you have dignity? You have inherent self-worth, and so you should have proper regard for that. That's self-respect. It's not arrogance. It's not a lack of humility. It's just self-regard. You're just regarding yourself properly as having the dignity inherent within you. Number number 14, I wish I had seen my own worth. That's, a spe- that's speaking to that inner critic. That I wish I had not listened to my inner critic so much throughout my life. Did you know that they have done scientific studies on human body language? And when people are down on themselves, when they're critical of themselves... They close off their body see how this person is putting their hands at their head they fold themselves in and they make themselves small and this is true it's been studied across all uh, all geographies all countries all cultures everybody everybody that's human is, is exactly this way this is what they do when they're down on themselves what do they do when they're happy with themselves they make themselves big They cheer, arms go up, body goes out, legs go spread. I mean, it's like they make themselves big. Again, across all cultures, across all geographies, that's what they do, they celebrate. Arms go in the air, fists pumped. And so, studies have been done on this and found that like with a lot of things in our brain, we can train our brain by mimicking these motions. And uh, theater trainers and public speaking trainers have been using this technique for years. Because what happens is if you make yourself do this, it will actually change your brain chemistry. It will actually make you feel more emboldened. It will actually increase your self-regard. So it, sound, it looks cheesy, but it's really true. In fact, uh, like I said, public speaking trainers and, and, and acting coaches uh, have people do this before they go out on stage. I actually forgot to do this before I came out. Probably would have been even better if I had done this. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, 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 uh, people will actually say, go in the bathroom and like stand there and do this for like 30 seconds before you walk out to give a presentation. It's amazing how much it changes you, and it does. It changes your brain chemistry. If you try it, <clears throat> I promise you, you'll agree with me. It really does work. If you're feeling down, you're just feeling like you're in the dumps, and you're just letting everybody down, or you've just failed, just go in and say, and stand like this for a minute and pick a bot. It will, change. it will change your perspective. It really will. It will change your demeanor and your posture. Okay, so some takeaways. What's one area of your life where you struggle with self-regard? Pick one person to tell about this struggle and write their name down. And then what are you going to change, do, or think differently now that you've identified this? And go in a private room and practice the super rant for 30 seconds while thinking about that struggle. Okay, so we covered the problem, we covered the worst case scenario, we talked about the overlook, and then we talked about the Superman. I have one final takeaway, and that is if I seem really touchy feely and super into all this stuff, I actually am. There are some of us out there. (laughs) And so I really care about you, I really care about each person in this room. I think you are full of dignity and self worth, and you deserve to not have those 15 regrets at the end of your life. You deserve to go to, to go to work every day filled with joy and fun and enthusiasm. You, would, you deserve to have those things. And so I would love to hear your story. So I'm, I'm based in Indianapolis, but I would be happy to meet you somewhere for coffee. I'd be happy to do a video call. My contact information is on here Douglas, and Doug will send out these slides. Uh, but I would love to just hear your story and talk to you. I'm not gonna try to sell you anything. Just I would love to spend 15 minutes or half an hour just hearing a little bit about you um, or longer. But, So that's just uh, just an offer from me. Uh, Here's all my footnotes. This is all the stuff that I like could reference, and then here's my contact information. Really appreciate your time. Thank you very much.